Hello, Rachel here with a brief, I guess a public service announcement and errata to explain something about the episode that you are about to hear. And if you listen to all of these episodes where we discuss the play scene by scene, you're going to hear this message multiple times. And I apologize for that to. This important information is that there is a method that my co-hosts and I discuss called Original Practice Shakespeare that we have since learned was not original practice to Shakespeare at all. There is zero evidence to suggest that Shakespeare's actors did not rehearse their plays. There is zero evidence to suggest that they always faced the audience at all times. In fact, we know that to be patently false. So I go into this in more depth in the episode of the podcast under that title about what is original practice and Shakespeare and early modern rehearsal and play production methods. What a plague means, my niece, to take the death of her brother thus. I'm sure cares an enemy to life. By my troth, Sir Toby, you must come in earlier, O knights. Your cousin, my lady, takes great exceptions to your ill hours. Why, let me accept. Before accept. Aye, but you must confine yourself within the modest limits of order. Confine? I'll confine myself no finer than I am. These clothes are good enough to drink in, and so be these boots too. And maybe not. Let them hang themselves in their own straps. <laughs> that coughing and drinking will undo you. I heard my lady talk of it yesterday and of a foolish knight that you brought in one night here to be her wooer. Who? Sir Andrew Aguchi. Aye, he. He's as tall a man as any in Illyria. What's that to the purpose? Why, he has 3,000 ducats a year. <laughs> Aye, but he'll have but a year in all these ducats. He's a very fool and a prodigal. Aye, that you'll say so. He plays with the pale the gamboys and speaks three or four languages word for word without book. He has all the good gifts of nature. <laughs> he hath indeed almost natural... For besides that, he's a fool, he's a great quarreler, and but that, he hath the gift of a coward to allay the gust he hath in quarreling, tis thought among the prudent he would quickly have the gift of a grave. By his hand, there are scoundrels and subtractors that say so of him. Who are they? They that add, moreover, he's drunk nightly in your company. With drinking health to my niece, I'll drink there as long as there is a passage in my throat. And drinking Illyria is a coward in a coistral that will not drink to my niece till his brains turn over the toe like a perish top. Uh, what wench? Castigliano Golgo. For here comes Sir Andrew Agueface. Sir Toby Belch, how now, Sir Toby Belch? Sweet Sir Andrew. Bless you, fair shrew. And you too, sir. Of course, Sir Andrew, of course. What's that? 
My niece's chambermaid. Oh, good mistress of cost. I desire better acquaintance. My name is Mary, sir. Ah, good mistress, Mary Acosta. <laughs> you mistake, knight. Acosta is front her, board her, woo her, assail her. By my troth, I would not undertake her in this company. Is that the meaning of the word Acosta? Fare you well, gentlemen. And thou let part so, Sir Andrew, with thou mightest never draw sword again. And you part so, mistress. I would I might never draw sword again. Fair lady, do you think you have fools in hand? Sir, I have not you by the hand. <laughs> Marry, but you shall have. And here's my hand. Now, sir, thought is free. I pray you, bring your hand to the buttery bar and let it drink. Wherefore, sweetheart? What's your metaphor? It's dry, sir. Why, I think so. I am not such an ass, but I can't keep my hand dry. But what's your jest? A dry jest, sir. Are you full of them? Aye, sir. I have them at my fingers' ends. Mary, now I let go your hand. I am barren. Oh, knight, thou lackest a cup of canary. When did I see thee so put down? Never in your life, I think. Unless you see canary put me down. You think sometimes I have no more wit than a Christian or an ordinary man has. But I am a great eater of beef, and I believe that does harm to my wit. No question. I thought that, I'll forswear it. I'll ride home tomorrow, Sir Toby. Pourquoi, my dear knight? What is pourquoi? Do or, or not do? Oh, I would I had bestowed that time in the tongues that I have in fencing, dancing, and bear baiting. Oh, had I but followed the arts. Then hadst thou an excellent head of hair. Why would that have mended my hair? Past question, for thou seest it will not curl by nature. But it becomes me well enough, dost not? Excellent. It hangs like flax on a distaff, and I hope to see a housewife take thee between her legs and spin it off. Hey, I'll home tomorrow, Sir Toby. Your niece will not be seen, or if she be, it's four to one. She'll none of me. The Count himself here hard by woos her. She'll none of the Count. She'll not match above her degree, neither in estate, years, nor wit. I, I have heard her swear it. Tut! There's life in it, man. I'll stay a month longer. I am a fellow of the strangest mind in the world. I delight in masks and revels sometimes altogether. Art thou good at these kickshaws, knight? Oh, as any man in Illyria, whatsoever he be, under the degree of my betters, and yet I will not compare with an old man. What is thy excellence in galliard knight? Hey, I can cut a caper. And I can cut the mutton to it. And I think I have the back trick simply as strong as any man in Illyria. Wherefore are these things hid? Wherefore have these gifts a curtain before them? Are they like to take dust the mistress Maul's picture? Why dost thou not go to church in a galliard and come home in a caranto? My very walk should be a jig. I would not uh, do so much as make water in a sink apace. What dost thou mean? Is it 
a world to wide virtues in? I did think uh, by the excellent constitution of thy leg, it was formed under the star of a galliot. Why, well, it is strong, and it does indifferent well in a flame-colored stock. Shall we set about some rebels? What shall we do else? Were we not born under Taurus? Taurus? That's sides and heart. No, sir. It is legs and thighs. Ah. Let me see the caper. Hiya! Ah. <laughs> Excellent! Ah. <laughs> ah. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to Twelfth Night Podcast. I am here with my guests, John Bean, Bridget Riley Beauchamp, and Katerina Aubrecht. Uh, Katerina, uh, you're a little bit new to the podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself briefly? Hi, my name is Katerina Aubrecht, and I majored in theater at The Ohio State University. And I really, um, I also did a lot of dance classes there, and I really love how Shakespeare has a lot of movement in it. The swordplay is all very intentional. Um, I love all different ways to stage Shakespeare and just to see what people do with it because it is allowed to be so interpreted. And it's, it's just really cool to see how different iterations bring out different focuses and what the director chooses to focus on or what they decide. Awesome. Okay, Katerina, we are so glad to have you with us. So we are... Thank you for having oh, me. So we are discussing today Act 1, Scene 3. And in like the other scenes before it, there's a fair amount of exposition here, as we would expect, right? And to me, it's interesting from a playwriting perspective in that Twelfth Night really has three strains of stories weaving through it, right? We've got Orsino being in love with Olivia and all of the, the kind of gender and class struggles that that represents. We've got Viola, who is stranded in a strange country, missing her brother, completely separate storyline, certainly at the beginning. And then we have this third storyline with Mariah or Maria, Uncle Toby, Aggie Cheek, and then later Festy and Fabian become part of that story too, and Malvolio and everything else. But we'll we'll get to that. So in this scene, what's happening here? We have uh, uh, Sir Toby Belch. Uh, John, would you would you read that very first line for me, please? Do you want to let go? However, you want to do it is fine. You're the actor. You can make the choices. I trust your choices. I just caught Orson Welles doing, what was it? Ball staff on the Dick Cavett show. So that's all I've got in my head. I've always been accused of, unfortunately, having those Wellesian cheeks. So here we go. What a plague means my name. There we go. All right. What a plague means my niece to take the death of her brother thus. I'm sure cares an enemy okay, so to life. Okay, so those are the very first words that we hear out of Uncle Toby. 
And I feel like that just, that summarizes his whole personality right there to some extent, right? I agree. What a plague means my niece. So in this case, like, what is he using? What does he mean by the word plague? Do you think? Well, and it's interesting how uh, we're mm-hmm. talking about this right now. <laughs> it's also being something that wasn't, you know, completely uh, exactly. unknown to Shakespeare and his people mm-hmm. uh, during that time. So um, it's we're talking about the uh, the all-encompassing, dramatic, huge, epic of her reaction, mm-hmm. her huge mourning and her, you know, like, you know, likening it to this plague effect. This. Um, so what do you f- yeah. feel like that means, Bridget, as somebody who played Olivia and, and has a soft spot for <laughs> her? How is this a plague the way that she's behaving? Um, well, it's a plague on the rest of, or for Toby, on the rest of the house, because it means that the house is in mourning, so mm-hmm. there's no festivity, there's no feasting, there's no mm-hmm. joy, and Toby, like our friend Falstaff, is all about the baser pleasures and the immediate gratifications, and so, you know, as far as he's concerned, he's living there because it's comfortable, and the food is never-ending, and the spirits are never-ending, and she's sort of put an end yeah, to all of that. that's a really interesting perspective, because she's kind of put the house under quarantine, hasn't she? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. not letting anybody in. She's not... Um, she's not opening her doors to the community the way she'd be expected to given her position in the and given in the that society this is 12th night yeah mm-hmm. even though, even though it's, it's never mentioned, mentioned. <laughs> well, or what you will <laughs> whole thing's supposed to be or what you will whatever never noticed that about those mm-hmm. things as titles what you will or as you like it or you know yeah. it's it always seems like he's got something that he's uh supplementing there he's like okay this is the great uh, yeah, you know, potato potato <laughs> yeah. yeah what a, you know it is what just it is. give me your pennies you can yeah, you, yeah. draw your own conclusions well i, I think viola she even says or what you will at some point to olivia when she's trying to be like you know i'm, I'm a man important too. Moment. so i i like that that's been mm. sprinkled in a little later like mm-hmm. or what you mm-hmm. will believe yeah good point good point I think also that uh, hitting this plague thing, it's clear prop in most productions, I would imagine, it's not really no. stopping Toby. No. The plague, <laughs> right? Like, we're still, yeah. it's still in full effect. Mm-hmm. Everything's, you know, complete. And for the most part, I think Toby finds himself almost completely inebriated the entire time. Mm-hmm. Which uh, we, you know, in the next line, mm-hmm. uh, you got to mm-hmm. stop doing this so much, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> you know, it's, it's not, so she's, you know, it's a, what a soft, quarantine well, you know uh, well and we're not you know, back in those days you could just go to the country and if you didn't let any strangers come through and nobody was dying of the plague then you were safe they didn't have airplanes mm. it's it didn't spread at the same terrifying rate that we're seeing right now with our own pandemic just because people could not travel as quickly as uh, as they do now. Uh, let's see, Bridget, would you read that next line of uh, Maria's? 
Sure. Katerina, did you have a question? Quick point. I always thought the plague, she's acting like she's Mm. dying and very ill because she's so depressed. And I've always thought like, especially back in the day, people didn't know how to interpret depression. Oh, that's a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that certainly gets backed up in the text, you know, to take the death of her brother thus. I'm sure care is an enemy to life. So mm-hmm. she just shouldn't be so sad, right? <laughs> she should just get over it, according to Toby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hmm. By my troth, Sir Toby, you must come in earlier nights. Your cousin, my lady, takes great exceptions so to your ill hours. Now we're seeing that the two of them have a relationship. Enough of a familiarity with each other that she can scold him a little bit, even though theoretically he's her better certainly in the household Uh, and then uh, you know as it continues we see some more of toby's um, humor um why let her accept before accepted so that's a kind of a pun Uh, anybody want to explain what it means (laughs) anybody feeling brave uh well it means that she can complain as much as she likes he's just gonna yeah. do what he wants yeah. um, and then uh mariah is just a wonderful straight woman in this scene i but you must mm. confine yourself within the modest limits of order and then what does toby say john fine I'll confine myself no finer than I am. These clothes are good enough to drink in. And so be these boots too. And they be not. Let them hang themselves <laughs> in their own straps. It's such, yeah. I, uh, last time I directed this show, I had them uh, both kind of doing shots during mm-hmm. this, that she's <laughs> chastising him, drinking with him, mm-hmm. chastising mm-hmm. him, drink, you know what I mean? Uh, or uh, last time, one of the last times too. I remember at one point we got to that. It's uh <laughs> Worked for the uh, audience, you know, maybe not 100% in keeping with the deeper, you know, socioeconomic ramifications of the moment. But I, I, I think a lot of times with the clowns in Shakespeare, there is a devolution of the accepted social order um, so that particularly the women are permitted to take liberties with mm-hmm. men like Toby or Falstaff because these higher born men have chosen to sort of come down to their level. So that there is an easing of the social restrictions and an ability for these women to be more commanding than they would necessarily be in the real because world. Because they're having sex. <laughs> not even, uh-huh. but not you, even you just think that. It doesn't um, have to be I, I think like it's a romantic relationship. I don't think it's. Mm-mm. Nope. I I think it is a this because it's almost always, as far as I can think of, it's always higher-born mm-hmm. male characters who we find in the servants' quarters or in the taverns or where have you. And so it's almost as though by moving into that spectrum of society, they are now willing to operate by the rules of that portion of society where these women who were the innkeepers or the servants, the people who were supplying them with what they wanted, be it sex or be it food or be it wine, now have the power because they're the ones that makes with a great their hands sense. on the and goods. Certainly Mariah is the key to him getting more alcohol out of the kitchen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Well, and my my I I just get I'm such a dang wide-eyed romantic about these things. <laughs> I always focus on you know at the you get that little half a line or whatever at the end. It's like uh, I shan't ruin that. I won't ruin for <laughs> our listeners. But there's a very important mm-hmm. half of a line mm-hmm. at the end of the play. It talks about what ends up happening with Toby and Maria. And so for me, I'm always kind of trying to plant those seeds of, you know, the, mm. of, yeah, of that uh, resolution early on. But I think, I think, exactly, you go. Mm-hmm. But I think that's absolutely fascinating what you're saying. You're exactly correct. You know, it's never a queen coming mm-hmm. in, yeah. into the tavern, <laughs> right? It's never a, a duchess that's, you know, mm-hmm. kicking her heels up with the boys or anything. Mm-hmm. It's always, it's always desperately important that we uh, see some piggish moment from a, a male in these things and I'll, him either deal or not with these temptations either completely give himself in or or not and there's some very strict you know what is it in mm-hmm. Henry the Mistress Quigley mm-hmm. you know yeah. or your you know all of that mm-hmm. so um, and it's exactly like you're saying to kind of guide them towards virtue sort of loosely mm-hmm. you know funnily mm-hmm. and and but it's yeah that's so, really great great point <laughs> It also speaks to like in my opinion. I mean, the <laughs> well, that's all that really matters. <laughs> what were you saying, Kater? <laughs> it also just speaks to the the laxer rules of males, uh, society's expectations on males that they can. I feel like that's a common theme if you look at a lot of literature, like the rich boys going down to they associate can slum with it a little bit, and mm-hmm. because they don't, there's no concern mm-hmm. about their right. virtue. <clears throat> you know, right, right. Mm-hmm. Right. Even it's almost expected that they're going to have this uh, dip down here mm-hmm. to properly, you know, so they're wild oats. the world. And, yeah. So the wild mm-hmm. oats become kings because everyone's going to be, king. you know, not all of us males had that kind of princely <laughs> money, though. So I take exception with this. I, Some I of us said, are just I stuck there. I meant the there. rich one. <laughs> no, I I'm just kidding. No, not okay, you. Cool. I, meant, I take well, exception with Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> ah. Not really, though. Some of us live in this damn tavern, Henry. You know what I mean? Like... He, gives, he gives you guys good lines, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Order plague and flippity boo. Yeah, and, all of that. It's, it's there's a lot of blessing. true that sometimes higher status males, especially if they were going to be in a leadership position, certainly any kind of military position, they needed to be able to bond with the people that they were going to be leading. And so they had to know them. If they didn't know them, then those men would be less likely to follow them to their doom. You know, right? Like if you've drunk beer with somebody, somehow you're more likely to follow mm -hmm. them somewhere. Is that like a law? (laughs) (laughs) I think there's that. And also it's, there's the the gadfly quality to it, but there's the Mm -hmm. heart, that heart strain, I think too. Like, you know, you'll follow them, but uh, there's also a common man Mm -hmm. conscience that gets played out um, in your, in your Falstaffs and your Tobies and uh, that kind of thing. Those basic earthy. Mm. Those very hedonistic. Yeah. Those earthly pleasures. Yeah, definitely. We, we, We tend to be coalescing a lot of vapors of, human existence and love and potential and these kinds of things in in these plays and so it's important to remember some of those you know these so yeah i I, I think i'm hearing you say that these characters provide sort of a grounding element a base note to some of the other stuff going on and yeah and so made it easier for more people to identify with somebody on the stage 
you know, surely there were a lot of people who went, oh, Toby's drunk. I'm drunk. I know just how he feels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been here for five hours. I've got to watch a bear kill a, a guy a little later. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, My on the ground. My wife's also like, a shrew. Exactly. I'm glad I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> Shakespeare does also play with gender power, women in power a lot. Like, it's a big theme in a lot of his plays, giving women these places of power or positions of power. I think to underscore that with the highlight. Absolutely. He highlights it across Absolutely. all his women's characters okay so then we get to meet the uh, inimitable sir andrew aggie cheek my daughter one of the first mountains you get a oh yeah here is a director or producer one of the big you know that's a a lot i don't know what about you well, guys you is, this, by, is this always it, an easier tell us what you mean by task? a mountain to climb I always just want to imbue him and stuff meaning into his and depth into his experience that I didn't have trouble actually, you know, ringing from it. It's, <laughs> it a lot of it is is fun and a mm -hmm. lot of it is mechanical for the sake of moments in the play. And those mechanics need to be crisp and they need to be, you know, delivered correctly. And Aguicheek's just a bit of a, you know, cipher is your classic fop is to your is there a dashing melancholic aggie cheek out there that desperately means everything that happens to him or does that work for I, the play probably not? i always felt uh, but i always felt rough. Like he he's was a little totally rough for me. sincere that he absolutely believes everything that he says and does i i don't think there's any artifice other than him saying i'm going to do artifice now here I am doing artifice, which yeah. <laughs> I can really sympathize with because I like I can't play poker. I don't have any subterfuge whatsoever. Everything is always right on the table. So, you know, I am as effective as at flirtation as Sir Andrew Aggie Cheek. So I, I have a real soft spot <laughs> for him. Uh, one of the interesting things, and again, you know, to get into the names, Aggie Cheek and Aggie is a fever. And so Sir Andrew Aguecheek is Sir Andy Hot Cheeks. <laughs> Flushed, red, Flushed red. And, you know, any time that Shakespeare can make a butt joke, he will. Yeah. Boom. So then, oh my Boom. gosh, we, we get into this wonderful scene between Aguecheek and Mariah and where Toby is basically just on the outside kind of goading them along. He gets her name wrong because Toby tells Sir Andrew to accost. So then Aguecheek misunderstands this and thinks that her name is accost, which again is another sex joke because he's basically calling her lady sex. I mean, we get to the, the yeah. point of, we were bored here, go, boom, you know, we're talking. Uh, and I, I want to, like, if, if you don't mind, you're, I think you're totally right in the, the, the great Aggie Cheeks that I've seen all to have that. I really do mean every single thing I'm, I'm saying here that he does put it out all out there. And mm -hmm. he says, no, I want this. And just and really Toby's is. really the yeah. bastard that mm -hmm. takes that real information and then just goes nuts with it and but he's and, and that's really the thing with him is he's he does seem aggie cheek like such a decent guy so, you know uh 
so much of their time. Mm-hmm. In a, I mean, in a simple, wonderful, silly way. Um, but you constantly see him as uh, this over-the-top effect, uh, you know, a feat. I think a feat is probably the word that you were rifling through the cards for here. There, yeah. Um, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This, this like carnivarsical mm-hmm. uh, Moliere character mm-hmm. or something, you know, like I'm, 90% of the time, that's what you're seeing out there. And I think you're right. He's totally like simple. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, mm-hmm. he, he's straightforward mm-hmm. about his stuff. Bless him. He reminds me of like those sort of like fourth sons of the aristocracy who are just sort of like inbred and well-meaning, but have had the world handed to them. You know, somebody's tying the bows on their shoes. Somebody's polishing their teeth. And so he is just absolutely ripe for the picking for Toby. Yeah, totally. Doesn't everyone get this? Everyone has bow people. <laughs> everyone has people. Right. Doing like, this. like it doesn't even occur to him that Toby doesn't have his best interest to heart because he's never in his mm. life met somebody who didn't because he's always been surrounded by people he's who were a, paid to. A product of extreme privilege to the point that yes. he doesn't realize that he's privileged at all. To your point, John, about yeah. the way that Aguchi gets portrayed a lot, I have to admit that in a lot of Twelfth Night productions, before I had directed Twelfth Night, I didn't like those scenes. They always felt boring. They always kind of Me felt too. flat. And then the first time I directed it and I went, oh my God, this is hilarious. This is wonderful. And I was fortunate to have one of my very best actors portraying Aguchi and she portrayed him with such warmth and such sincerity that we just all fell in love with Aguchi in that production and so you know I've never seen him the same way since the first time I directed it it was it was a young man Mm -hmm. and this was a muscular guy you know a young man that was in our shows Wonderful, mm-hmm. uh, red-headed and red-cheeked, mm-hmm. and uh, he very much could have been like a, your Romeo into your Hamlet's a little later in, in that stock. You know, he's a really good actor, but had a, a great sense of the physical and the comic and all that, and it was very straightforward. It was the first time that I personally was interested, and of course, I'm arrogant, and I'm always assuming that's just because it's me mm-hmm. doing it, but... <laughs> But um, I agree. It's always a it's a rough one. I, I hold my breath in. I wait for the, mm-hmm. the shipwreck <laughs> and I hold my breath when we go inside. OK, so then there's this lovely exchange between Mariah and Aggie Cheek, where she really gives some of the best lines in the play. Uh, would you start, John, from Aggie Cheek's line? And you part so mistress, I would I might never draw sword again. And then. Bridget, would you read Maria? We'll do that whole little exchange. Yeah, a classic landmine, just a minefield here of obscure intentions and things to dig through to make specificity is key in this exchange, you know. And so, uh, forgive me for any everything I'm about to say. And you part so, mistress, I would I might never draw sword again. Fair lady, do you think you have fools in hand? Sir, I have not you by the hand. Mary, but you shall have 
and here's my hand. Now, sir, thought is free. I pray you, bring your hand to the buttery bar and let it drink. Wherefore, sweetheart? What's your metaphor? It's dry, sir. Why, I think so. I'm not such an ass, but I can't keep my hand dry. But what's your jest? A dry jest, sir. Are you full of them? Aye, sir, I have them at my fingers' ends. Mary, now I let go your hand. I am barren. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> and then Sir Toby... You got a lot out of that, so you have to explain to us what the heck is going on. Well, <laughs> what's happening here is that she is saying, and you part so mistress, I would I might never draw a sword again. So already we've got a penis joke. He's saying hmm. he's... I have got to know what first like readers like with than you. Necessarily <laughs> We've got one highlighter for lines and one highlighter for all the all of the uh, jokes. <laughs> Which one's gonna get out of ink first? <laughs> I might never draw a sword again, fair lady. Do you think you have fools in hand? Another penis joke. A penis is a fool, sir. I have not you by the hand. Mary, but you shall have. And here's my hand. Again, he's completely missed the sexual reference mm -hmm. here. You begin, you begin to see why yeah, he's, he's having trouble getting he's laid. He would not know if a woman was flirting with him. So he offers her his hand. She says, now, sir, thought is free. I pray you, bring your hand to the buttery bar and let it drink. Boob joke. Pure boob joke. So now a buttery bar is a place where uh, beer was kept because beer butts were kept there. I know it seems like it should be butter would be kept in a buttery bar, but it's not, it's beer. But there is that joke about butter and lactating breast could be called a buttery bar without too much of a stretch of the imagination. So you can have your actor at that point bring Aggie Cheek's hand up to touch her breast or near her breast. And I mean, that's. A, I think that's a classic. Uh, take on it I, I think you do see that kind of thing and his sort of yeah yeah what, what are you talking all about of a sudden, like, you his know, hands reply there food. yeah mm -hmm. like what i'm gonna barf like the kid and, in south park um, or whatever, just, you know? <laughs> and i i want to make a note we're going to talk about this later about intimacy choreography in terms of making sure that your actors are comfortable with that a lot of people are not going to be comfortable with having their boob grabbed like you know so much matters in the context of the actors, who they are, who they're comfortable with. And believe me, you can make this just as funny without any boobs being grabbed. It's fine. It's fine. But we do go for the cheap gag an awful lot of the time. Just as Shakespeare. Well, and, and in Shakespeare's day, fair enough, also, it was, uh, they were you know, they were fake boobs. boobs. <laughs> and it was two men. Yeah. In our case, in the production that we were yeah, doing, it exactly. was two women, and neither one was really all that worried about one grabbing the other one's boob. It, it was fine. And mm -hmm. you do, you know, your list of stratas, these kind of things. You do kind of see these moments where the body gets a little, it's it's a little more uh, quick uh, of a go-to when you don't actually have to yes. deal with a real woman on yes. the other end of that mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Then she says, uh, "Okay, now, sir, thought is free, and uh, thought is free. That's a reference to a." philosopher 
he says, wherefore, sweetheart, what's your metaphor? She said, it's dry, sir. And at that point, she is, in fact, talking about her vagina. Um, I mean, so we're, we're eight out of ten oh, here yeah. on these lines in this scene. Yep. Keep yep. going. I'm get <laughs> and, you know, again, he says, I am not such an ass, even though my name is Red Chief. I am not such an ass. I can keep my hand dry. Uh, a dry gesture. Are you full of them? I, sir, I have them at my fingers' ends. Mary, now I let go your hand. I am barren. So, again, you know, he's offered her his hand as a penis substitute. She says, uh, no. it's dry. You're dry. I'm dry. Nothing is happening. You don't know what you're doing. Then she says, a dry gesture. He says, are you full of them? <laughs> well, she hopes not. <laughs> I, sir, I have them at my finger's end. Mary, now I let go your hand. I am barren. Nothing has transferred. There has been no Congress between the two of them. And there never will be. As Toby points out, oh, night, thou lackest a cup of canary. You better have a drink. When did I see thee so put down? And Aggie Cheek is still kind of oblivious and says, never in your life, I think, unless you see Canary put me down. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. He says, methinks I have no more wit than a Christian or an ordinary man has, but I am a great eater of beef, and I believe that does harm to my wit. That's practically a jester line right there. That's practically a fool's line. So, and then they go on and uh, Toby gives him a bit of a pep talk saying, oh, but you can dance, can't you? And, you know, don't go home. Keep buying me alcohol. I'm, I'm sure my niece will discover how charming you are eventually. And then they go merrily dancing off the stage. Hmm. He's a Toby? flatterer, that bastard. Oh. He's a, he, yeah, he's a flatterer. He's, as he's, all broke uh, nobles got are. got that charisma score you know? real good. Well, and he's, he's mm -hmm. complimenting him physically mm -hmm. and uplifting his personal missions in life, all to squeeze him, ensure that, you know, he's sending for that money. This is a wonderful ending on this scene here that it does kind of kick us into this, you know, him being, you know, uh, Aggie Cheek and mm -hmm. this, uh, the, the yeah. puppy that he is, you know, the wonderful, you know, so eager to please. So you can really just get a great, flourish on the way out on this one you know dancing off the stage and, him finally... and then they they do that funny little exchange at the end where they talk about uh were we not born under taurus he does yeah, he gets rhapsodic you know this is where we see a little of the little of the false staff in toby here you know this is the fun stuff and he he praises him a bit too much for it to just be flattery mm -hmm. right well, it's just, he really digs in he's on this drunk. thing i mean you know even I yeah. have been prone to overflattery yeah. when I was intoxicated. I love you, man. You're the best. You're the best. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think John is right that Toby, I often think Toby is not quite as drunk as he appears to be. Really? Um, yes. I think that Toby understands that his, it's a delicate dance. If Olivia tosses him mm -hmm. out, he needs to keep Aggie Cheek happy so that he's got somebody else to continue to buy him his booze. So I, I think that 
very often Toby is, uh, I, I mean, he's constantly drunk. He's probably not been sober since he was 15 or 16. But I think that there's a very much a calculation of what he needs to do and what he needs to say mm-hmm. and how he needs to charm. I mean, you know, he he manages to make Olivia think of him as sort of this helpless, hopeless old drunk. So she's always telling people to go look after him, telling people to take care of him. Whereas with Mariah, he's sort of this, you know, sly old fox. And with Aguecheek, he's sort of, again, playing like, you know, treating Aguecheek like he's his Prince Hal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's Benvolio. Or, right. Or, you like, know, and, and he's Ro- Rodeo. Like, I'm, so, yeah, I'm lifting yeah. you up. I'm, 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 exactly. this, I'm this elder mm-hmm. statesman who can help you be the man you should be. And it's all very calculated to keep Toby in a warm bed mm. with an endless supply of food and wine Absolutely. and friendship and, and mischief. If you have ever known an alcoholic, then you realize mm. this is not a unique trait necessarily to Toby. Being drunk doesn't rearrange your priorities. It may mm-hmm. make you, you know, a calculating person is going to be a calculating person when they're drunk. If anything, mm-hmm. it might remove some of the inhibitions of those calculations. Like you might even become more uh, scheming with alcohol, kind mm-hmm. of removing any inhibitions of whatever slight moral pangs that you might have had at that moment. Well, and he's he's careful to also keep the eye off. Oh the yeah, mm-hmm. right. And he does that in different you know ways, like. And I, I thought it was a great breakdown, you know, uh, with the different facets that he shows mm-hmm. to the different people that he's uh, trying to get mm-hmm. these things from, you know. And yeah, yeah, totally. Some of it could be subconscious and all that, but he's constantly he throws in the need, mm-hmm. and then just like every silver spoon, <laughs> uh, you know, ne'er do well that we uh, that may or may not be topping the national <laughs> headlines. <laughs> uh, quickly shifts yes, shifts the focus yes. right so he digs in a good thing and shifts it to oh you mm-hmm. and look at what i'm solving for you and let's let me also be sure to introduce the next chapter so you don't get mm-hmm. too spun off on this aggy cheek beef whatever thing you're getting on to and focus back on something that's going to keep you around i need mm-hmm. you to want to do this. he's a con man he's a con man so how yeah, yeah you're what Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you are directing the play and you have a character like Toby who could become unlikable very easily, how do we find that balance to make him appealing? Is it just that he's just inherently charming that even the audience, knowing what a bastard he is, just can't, can't resist him much as Mariah? I think Mariah sees him very clearly. And oh, yeah. she loves him anyway. Do... Mm. Ah, interesting. <laughs> uh, I want to hear this. I, I, now I'm terrified. <laughs> I, don't talk to my wife. Don't ever talk to my wife. <laughs> um, I think that Mariah, Toby thinks he's the smartest guy in the room, and Mariah is. Uh, do you, do so you th- she's, she's playing the player. I think she's fond of him. I don't think love enters into really? it. I think, she's, I think she sees a means to an end and a way to... This is hard to talk about without 
spoiling the rest of the 400 year old play um (laughs) i think but um, we've already said that they that they are uh, a love interest i i think that's fair she's she's working the room she's playing him to her advantage um and again it's not that she dislikes Mm -hmm. him she's very fond of him but she's not in a position to marry for love if she's gonna marry she's gonna marry up you don't think that so you're saying that you don't think toby could be the any of these other people as well i i think that she genuinely enjoys him i think she's you know he's certainly fun um but i think she knows that she can maneuver him and how often in her line of work and her place of work is she going to have the opportunity to advance herself through an advantageous marriage? Well, and this is so interesting because it's, you know, we're really building the world here when we're, when we're making these decisions. Because the, you know, the dynamic of what it is about these two that gets them going mm-hmm. is something that builds mm-hmm. all of these, mm-hmm. you know, the tempest mm-hmm. of all of these different relationships and, um, you know, and towards his kind of in terminable sort of crash at the end there that he's when he's just kind of you know they're possible well i won't ruin it for you but, the, um, <laughs> but to, i i also think if, if i and I'm, i don't mean to am i cutting you off no at all, i'll let you know you smack me in the head <laughs> with a will. shovel seriously with a brick I, I was just gonna say also with that with the directing and, and directing toby to make him not a prick mm-hmm. all the time um they they're this scene right here is just one of these things where I, I think it's exactly what you two were saying that the charm and all of that kind mm-hmm. of stuff and speaking as a physical specimen, not unlike the lad myself, mm-hmm. uh, there's definitely, you know, you do rely on some of these other um, tools, mm-hmm. you know, and he here, and I, I, this is also a moment as a director when you can make some great decisions with the actor on, uh, you know, it's the end of the night, you know, they're talking about going in and all this, here's the, the drink and maybe we're coming out to the patio and we're looking out, especially if you're doing Shakespeare in the park, like a lot of us do, and you got the right, you know, moon shining mm-hmm. through the right tree. It can be a very evocative moment here for him and Andrew. And you can see, which is the, my favorite kind of moments. You can see one character seeing another, but without that character knowing. So you can see Toby maybe seeing Andrew mm-hmm. over here, mm-hmm. you know, and that kind of thing. And, and so it's, it's in all of Toby's reasons, internal sort of ingredients and why he decides to buck up Andrew Mm -hmm. in this moment, right? And to build him up as this wonderful, you know, warrior of the dance, (laughs) uh, you know, all this kind of thing, you know? And so if you see Mm -hmm. him, you know, is it, is it just, he's the coin purse or is there a little extra something to the twinkle? Well, and it's gotta be funny to watch Aggie cheek dance. I mean, that's just has Mm -hmm. to be a little bit of private amusement for Toby, no matter what. But something that I was thinking about, Bridget, is how when we look at Mariah and we decide what class level is she at and mm-hmm. understanding that this is, this is one of the gifts of Mariah is that she can be played any way that she wants. But certainly a gentlewoman could easily have been of the same social class as Toby. And mm-hmm. in that case, yes, she does have options. Certainly, Aguecheek is fond of her as well, which I think causes some friction between him and Toby later. I think that she doesn't have the same strictures on her that Olivia does. There's 
lots of men about. And so when I directed this, I just decided that there was something that Toby had that Mariah genuinely loved about him. You know, later on, you see in the relationship, he does know that she's smarter than him. It takes him a while to find out, and and we'll get to that. But I think, and this is really crucial, he doesn't back away from her at that point. He moves closer to her. And that there's possibly some very genuine affection between them and, and some very real pleasure between the two of them. And I... And again, I feel like anytime somebody does Shakespeare, I am so thankful, especially this play. And I don't feel like there's any wrong way to play it. I just like the idea that Mariah has agency and that she is genuinely choosing Toby because she sees something in him. And it was certainly believed at the time that a man in a married state was a different man and that he was genuinely ruled by his wife certainly in the home not outside the home but in the home she was largely in charge of everything finances uh, the servants all of that like he Toby would not have bothered his pretty little head about any of that I Mm -hmm. again it's an actor's choice it's a director's choice how much agency Mariah has, how much affection they have between the two of each other. I kind of assumed that they're already having a sexual relationship just because of the mores at the time that would have been expected. Mm-hmm. It's implied a bit with the mounter border. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He's got some, there's exactly. something familiar. He's comfortable or... saying that in front of her and clearly he knows. Yeah, or at the very least funny. Yeah, she's used to those yeah. kind of jokes mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. at the very least. Maybe. I uh, directed a, a version of the show in, we were hired by the Erotic Heritage Museum uh, and this is a, a in Vegas, and there was a, I don't even know if we need to give that specific information. Anyway, I was hired to direct Fun. an erotic version of the show. This, we did a three-show series, and we did, started with Midsummer, uh-huh. and then uh, went to this, and then uh, Salome. But at this one, very specific, specifically in a very erotic, heavily themed uh, locale, uh, penis columns, we're talking the entire thing here, and so it was very intentional from the moment that it, we were, and I'm, I've done full Shakespeare in the Park family, hundreds of family kids running around versions as well. But in that version specifically, everything necessarily had that bent, you know, had that light on it. And so, and we're doing in a sumptuous kind of a, of a location and a rich, you know, your lights and your fabrics and those kinds of things were like that. And so all that to say, our Toby and I didn't want to waste a relationship mm. in terms of that exploration. So I so saw a younger Toby, a younger Maria. Toby was more into this, um, you know, like getting into not your Mercutio, but your your wild child mm-hmm. of the aristocracy mm-hmm. kind of thing, and that kind of thing. And so the some of those dynamics being peeled back with the age being peeled mm-hmm. back, right? Because it's especially easy for us to condemn Toby because Very of his true. age, you know. Um, and uh, so seeing some of these intentions, and I and I don't 
all, those actors were the bravest, most wonderful <laughs> and talented group, you know, that I've ever worked with. They're just such a wonderful group of, of people. So any mistakes there were mine, but they were really, there was a, a tenderness that I think is undeniable between them mm -hmm. that you get to that reliance that he has on her anyway. And I'm really interested in, in this idea of her not needing him as much but there was you you got the sense of a guy trying more of a sense of a guy mm -hmm. trying to make his way in the world mm -hmm. and when he was freed from the age he got there was a dashing quality to it mm -hmm. so i can that, see that that, that you don't sense. use that yeah, you don't that usually mm -hmm. and certainly mm -hmm. people do have aunts or uncles that are sometimes even younger than them so there's no mm -hmm. reason that he has yeah. to be older than olivia that's really interesting Forgive my babble. No, 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 not at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always seen him personally. And again, you know, we don't direct our Shakespeare. We let our actors make the, the choices. But I've always seen him as sort of like an aging Rue, you know? Rue. Yes, like, a, you know, one of those, he was a rake in his youth mm -hmm. and he's still got that, that glint in his eye, that little the little twinkle you know he's the he's the uncle that'll tell the dirty jokes mm -hmm. that are actually funny and i yeah, and yeah. i do think that that's kind of the way that we're used to seeing him mm -hmm. if only because he's her uncle and so that immediately mm -hmm. brings to mind somebody from the previous generation mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. there's only four years difference between my son and my youngest brother there's 16 months between my oldest and my sister oh, <laughs> It's a completely wow. different kind of relationship. And, mm -hmm. and I mm -hmm. really, I really love that idea. I think if I ever got to do it again, I would definitely experiment with a younger Toby, just to mm. kind of explore what that brings about. Because imagine that you've got your drunk 20 something year old uncle carousing about the place. It almost feels more threatening. Doesn't it? It, does. Does. it? it lends more stakes mm -hmm. to, you know, his needs for these mm -hmm. things to happen with Aguicheek and his, like he's making his, his move mm -hmm. in the world as opposed mm -hmm. to, to falling and, off the And cliff. isn't that mm -hmm. what we all do when we're in love? <laughs> well, and he's, he's sort of famously here, not, uh, he's in financial mm -hmm. dire straits, we get the mm -hmm. sense right here. So I'm not sure if, if finances would be the, Very or security true. would be the thing, but probably the security of household. Mm -hmm or something like that could be something mm -hmm. valid. Mm -hmm. But she's also, you know, and speaking in, in aspects of mm -hmm. their relationship and some of those dynamics of how much do they mean it. One of the telling moments for me about Maria, and this is just, I mean, I've been with my wonderful other more brilliant half uh, for eight years now. And when Maria comes, not to ruin everything later, but when she comes barreling out to of the house to or whatever to yeah. Toby, well, no, to tell him that, um, what happened with oh. Malvolio to, to to how she mm -hmm. has done this thing and I'll and we'll get into that but her joy and that she needs to share it and the way that mm -hmm. you know when something mm -hmm. really you got married stuff happening mm -hmm. and something at work and they come and they they tell you how it went during the day mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff and there's that special just kind of link the there bond. that, that have that yes. moment's always mm -hmm. yeah I that see. moment for me is always been, she wants to she go does. tell Toby she does you know? she know she's hoping he yeah. will impress in fact she's clearly expecting him to be impressed as as she should as and he, he is. is and he he's oh exactly. come sit on my head exactly. yeah you know <laughs> uh, but that's an interesting point about the money is Mariah really marrying up here when she's tying herself to a man with 
no money. If anything, her position is stronger than Toby's in the household because Olivia never talks about kiss, about kicking Mariah out, but she several times expresses her frustration at Toby. So is Mariah really making her life more secure? Or is or there is something, there some, is there, yeah. is is there, there some little, real uh, love? Is there some real affection and physical affection that they both are enjoying for whatever reason? Okay, I think we have wrung this scene dry, as it were. We'll <laughs> go on to the next one. So the next scene brings us to Duke Orsino's palace, where Viola will get to talk to the brooding Duke. 